Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of MedTech POV, the podcast brought to you by AdvaMed, the world's largest trade association for medical technology companies. I'm your host, Scott Whitaker, president and CEO of AdvaMed. And today, we're pleased to have with us Ashley McAvoy, executive vice president and worldwide chairman of medical devices at Johnson & Johnson and a member of the J&J executive team. She oversees J&J's entire MedTech division, which exceeds $23 billion in sales annually and touching the lives of nearly a half a billion patients across the world. She's had incredible success at J&J for more than 20 years, for which she's been recognized with a number of awards. For example, by Fortune Magazine and its 2019 list of most powerful women and as a woman of achievement in 2020 by the National Association of Female Executives. And she took the number one spot on the top 25 women leaders in medical devices, the list by the Healthcare Technology Report. And more recently, Ashley was named in the inaugural Forbes CEO Next List, a list of up and coming leaders who are set to revolutionize American business. She's a passionate advocate for racial justice for the LGBTQ community. She's also very involved on our board of directors here at AdvaMed. And on top of all that, if she wasn't busy enough, she's a mother of five. Imagine that. All right, welcome, Ashley. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Scott. Looking forward to uh, having a good chat with you. You know, I love to start these off by getting to know the person behind the big title so that most of our listeners have a sense of who you are and sort of what got you to the place you are now. So maybe we can start, Ashley, by just telling us a little bit about where you grew up and where you were educated and, and how you got to your spot where you are today. Oh, my goodness. You're taking me back in time, Scott. Well, yeah, I never thought I'd be in a company 25 years, about half of my life at J&J. You could say I bleed red and white. goes back to early days. So my, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. I went to the local public high school called Conestoga. I have an older sister. She's five years older. And my dad had worked for Campbell Soup for 25 years in Camden, New oh, Jersey. Wow. Yeah. Also red and white. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up a Campbell's kid, and he would have people from all around the world at the dinner table talking about food science and consumer behavior. People, he would early on go to India and Brazil and Mexico learning about food science. So once you get that bug of like opening up people's cupboards and seeing why they buy what they buy, right. uh, and the world is indeed flat, literally we have so much in common around the world, that kind of stuck with me. My mother was a teacher. My father had gone to UPenn, and so I would go down to see his the homecomings they would have, and I, too, followed there, and I played field hockey and lacrosse at UPenn, and my two daughters play hockey now in college, so wow. um, I get to live vicariously through them. And then I really started in the story. He did a lot of marketing and innovation and insights and analytics, and I decided I'm not going to go work for like a boring manufacturer. I'm going to go to the service industry. And right. I went to work in New York City with some Penn grads and had a little bit of fun in, in New York and worked on Clairol hair coloring, coloring Julia Louis-Dreyfus's hair and Linda Evangelista's hair, three colors. Wow. Yeah. And worked a little bit on Proctor's Downey business and Jif reduced fat peanut butter business and then Went to Europe. My husband now, I needed to get him out of Havertown, Pennsylvania. He's one of six, the only son, the youngest of six kids, five older sisters, and said, if we're going to be together, I need you to see the world a little bit. 
And then we moved to Europe and he taught the English national lacrosse team. And I worked for an agency in London on Unilever. And it really was helpful to uh, work on their Timote shampoo, traveled all throughout Europe with him, had a great time. And then 25 years ago, I had heard that J&J is this place that really believes in science and big brands and patient care. And I aspired to have a family. And so culture mattered. And that led me to J&J 25 years ago. So what an interesting story. When did healthcare become part of what you wanted to be involved in? Was it when you came to J&J or was it sort of after you got there, you realized the scope of the company and the impact they have on health, the healthcare system? Yeah, you know what? I think I'm a little non-traditionalist that I don't come from doctors right. or nursing or a pharmacist family. I think starting out in a service industry was a little bit of my North Star and healthcare is mm. a service industry. And yeah. I liked parlaying that service orientation onto kind of a major global cause called you know, healthcare. And I feel like healthcare we take care of people when they're at their most vulnerable. And for me, there was a lot of honor in that and a lot of purpose. And for me, purpose matters. You know, it's what drives right. me. And so it started early on, you know, in 19, my goodness, 1996, when I joined and I was on like an assistant, 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 assistant brand manager working on like the likes of like a Tylenol or like a Zyrtec or a Nicorette to stop smoking. And you know, you have to learn the science part of that, but you also have to learn how those brands or teachers, how they connect with consumers so that you can educate on health. Right. I like the way you say that because healthcare is the ultimate service industry, right? Everything we do is about serving others. In our case, mostly people who are suffering from something, right? That is either debilitating or just very, very difficult to deal with. And there's some reward. I hear that over and over from CEOs. It's not just work, right, that we're doing. There's such a reward in seeing products help people and change their lives. And I know at J&J, you've experienced that through your entire career, right? I always tell people, choose the right industry. Yeah. J&J has been around for 135 years in healthcare. And, you know, that's by design that we, you know, you choose where you want to spend your life and where you want to make a difference. Yeah. You also have made a difference in a lot of people's lives outside of healthcare. I understand that the Trevor Project is one of your passions and something that you've dedicated a lot of your time to. I know, actually, we've talked about it before inside of J&J. It's very important to you as well. Why this cause and why do you feel so passionate about helping in that area? Listen, I think everybody isn't deserving of healthcare, of access and impact. And we always say we have to start with a healthy house at home at J&J. &J. And, you know, I think as part of our creative, we've always put patients and customers and employees and shareholders return in that order. And when I look at, I always want everybody to feel safe and have a sense of belonging and have a sense that they are included. And, you know, I got acquainted with the Trevor Project. I became the executive sponsor of what we call our open and out employee resource group. And it really was an advocate group for the LGBTQ plus community, which was really, I had a huge amount of education to go to learn how to be a good ally. And when you start to look at the science of the Trevor Project and that folks who are transitioning are at the highest risk of suicide, kids are super important to us at J&J, mental health is super important to us. And so, you know, it really got my attention and to really hear people's stories around how they were able to overcome their own 
personal upbringings of how they were taught certain matters and how it really, when it affects their immediate life, they really started to, one, get educated and, and kind of be open to learning something. And then really, you know, we're all human beings. Healthcare, if anything, is about the business of humanity. Right. You and I have talked before about the importance of healthcare equity, racial and healthcare equity across the board, something I know is important to you personally. And I know as a company, J&J has been a leader in that as well. But at AdvaMed, about a year ago, almost a year ago, after the George Floyd incident, you stepped up and decided to lead an initiative for the industry on racial healthcare inequities that existed and how we could make progress in that area as well. Can you talk about that and, and your passion around that, which in many ways connects to the mission of J&J? Listen, I was really pleased with how kind of the med tech industry came to lead together to collaborate throughout COVID. And I think that that's really important that we take a stand collectively to advance the inequities in healthcare. And so part of that is, you know, we're science and database understanding what are some of those root causes of those discrepancies and then starting to deploy some of the quite frankly, the the smarts and the guts and the resources that we all collectively have to affect change. And we started with kind of just standing up some guiding principles because this is a big topic and it can quickly go into broader topics on education and the criminal justice. And we said, you know, we're going to kind of stay in the zip code of healthcare, really start to understand, you know, from a healthcare economics and morbidity, mortality, what are some of those root causes of the inequities and then start to gain awareness of some of those with the facts and data and then start to kind of pilot some interventions and right. you know it makes sense to have our clinical trials have diverse populations to make sure that our innovations are getting input from people of diverse backgrounds to really start earlier on in the education to encourage people our clinical workforce to reflect our patient workforce yeah. So I, I would say we're in the early innings of that. I've been spoiled. Jane Jay, we've been doing this for years. It's just kind of we're now more transparent about that. Right. Right. We welcome people to join us. We are just one of many. Yeah, and I, I think from where I sit, the value of having you lead that, not just because of your capacity to lead it, but also because there are so many companies in our space that I think can learn from you and J and J and what you've done and why it really matters to the healthcare system, right? And the example that you all are setting, I think, can help be transformative, I think, for the industry. So we appreciate your leadership there. Thanks, Scott. And we want more to join. We Everybody's capable. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. You know, one of the things I've found most fascinating about your amazing career, and I, I talk about it in the introduction of you, but is your leadership as a working mother, a number of distinctive honors that you've uh, received over the years. And can you talk a little bit about that? I, I've just been amazed. Five kids that you've raised, now they're a little bit older now, and you said two are playing lacrosse in college, and balancing a career and making all the achievement you have, it's its pretty impressive. Talk about that a little bit. You know, for me, it's kids. I would, for folks who don't have kids, it's really about what really is important to you. It could be taking care of your parents. It could be doing another profession of a hobby or but for me, you know, I wanted to have a larger family. Coming up with one sister, I always said, my goodness, if one of us can't make the dinner table, the other one, you know, is there. Where my husband right. wanted six, you know, it's okay if a couple miss the dinner at the dinner table. Right. But, you know, my oldest is 21 and my youngest is, my goodness, almost 12. Three girls, two boys. They're actually field hockey players, not lacrosse. Three in college next year and have a 16-year-old and soon 12-year-old. But 
A couple things. One is I really believe that you have to be really thoughtful about what matters to you most as a person to go, you know, what's your life dream? And then what's the environment where professionally you can make the most amount of impact? And I've been very fortunate that a company like J&J has allowed, my goodness, every time I went and had a baby, I came back to a different job. I was so grateful for one, the childcare that was available on site. You know, my husband, we're, do- we're part of a dual working household. My husband still works full time. He's a lacrosse yeah. coach and an administrator. And at one point, I think it was kid number four, you know, he took a year off and we both understood, holy smokes, when you say 630, you better be home, not 730. That's the waking <laughs> hour. You know, yeah. we, we really walked in each other's shoes. But J&J had wonderful childcare. They had a lot of good flexibility. It's very individual. Some people, you know, for me, I would take four months off after each time because that's what it took to get physically and mentally fit to come back. Mm. I always come back to a challenge. Some people need more, more time. I'm so pleased right now of what we're doing with paternal care and for folks who are adopting children. And I think we can learn from some other countries of it's so important that we have a diverse workforce and when you're in that childbearing or adoption age, it's, it's hard. And, you know, the health of a family is really the health of how people are going to produce at work. And, right. you know, I was very fortunate to work with kind of a very progressive company that really understood that. And right. I'm a beneficiary of that. But I, I will tell you, you know, we are still working on that around the world in areas like Japan to keep people working. And even in COVID, we still see some of the inequities that happen in families when stress you know, happens in the system. And we wanna create the right pathways where folks feel like they can contribute professionally as well as be personally fulfilled. What advice would you give, thinking about this question, right, to other CEOs who may not be, or companies, it may not be quite as progressive as J&J has been, about the way to recruit and retain women and allow them to move up in an organization. You mentioned childcare as one of the most important factors. Are there two or three others that you would mention as well to companies that they could use to benefit from your learnings? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of flexibility of how work gets done. We all kind of grew up in offices from the whatever, seven to seven, being there live FaceTime. And when you have young kids, you got to get them home and bathe and then you pick it up again later. And Having that flexibility goes a long way, I would tell you that. And then also don't assume that people want to kind of slow down on their career ramp. You know, Mm, people want to maybe speed up. And I have a lot of colleagues who, you know, are very reminded of how valuable their time is with their family. So if they're going to be professionally dedicated, they want to be like super challenged intellectually with a big sweaty issue. And don't put your own biases on people. Extract what's important to them. And and really meet them in the middle. And and what I find is when companies do that, you build unbelievable loyalty and obviously, you know, productivity as well. But I think it goes a long way. I think I have a daughter who's 19, Ashley, and she's going into her sophomore year, two boys on each side of her. So she's particularly tough and a great kid. She suffers from type one diabetes, as you know, has had a challenging life in many ways, but has overcome that. And it's so impressive what she's gone through. But I think of her, I think of other 19-year-old girls who are in college who aspire to be something great, right? And I look at your career, and I, I guess I would ask you a simple question about that. When you think of these girls in college who want to be where you are, what advice would you give them, right? How do they get there, and what should they focus on? 
No, I would say, yes, you can. It starts with a mindset of, yes, you can. And listen, there's no perfect balance. You know, I don't buy into that. There's moments that, you know, you're in China for six days and you're away from your family. And there's times that you're in a parent-teacher conference and the board of directors meeting is happening. So you learn how to manage through that. But the most important thing is, yes, you can. Mm. And every day you just take a step forward and say, yes, you can. And if you love what you do, you tend to be really good at it. And I would tell you unrivaled work ethic is still matters in 2021 as it did 50 years ago. Mm. And being a learner and being curious and inviting others in to be an ally to you to help you, you know, living into your word and living into your commitments and everybody has to kind of pull their weight. But I would just say determination and curiosity and, you know, finding your place in the right environment is really, you know, find the right industry. For me, like having a growth industry, having impact on patient care, having something that was global in nature were really important. And I always give that advice to the next generation. Yeah, great advice. I always say to my daughter, why not you, right? It, it kind of goes with the yes, you can theme, right? There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it too. So don't let anyone put you in a box that you don't feel like you belong in. And so, but looking and listening to people like you who have been successful, I think is really important for young girls kind of coming up through. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Let's turn to J&J because you, you have come through a very difficult year as all of us have but come out of it quite strong. I was, uh, your earnings report recently, I saw your comments about that. Medical devices is really leading the way for J&J in many ways coming out of the pandemic. Can, can you talk about two things, how you got through the pandemic period of time and sort of where you are today? It's impressive. Yeah, no, Scott, first of all, I always say, listen, J&J MedTech, we're the second largest MedTech company. We are part of J&J. MedTech started 135 years ago. You know, we were the first to kind of sterilize operating theaters. So there's Mm -hmm. a history, kind of a proud history of many pioneering firsts in MedTech. And, you know, we got humbled for a while. We missed some major trends and we did some big deals that slowed us down a little bit because we got kind of internally focused. And, then we got really resolute, like, you know, to the point, yes, you can, we will get above market performance, we will start to create new standards of care, we will represent our patient population. And I couldn't be more proud of this team. You know, it's a very battle tested team, very globally diverse and diverse in nature. You know, you look at our team, and we are the UN. We're fortunate because we've always had a very strong history in China. We've been in China 35 years, that business is really leading us out of this pandemic, but we were able to really learn and quickly translate what was working there and what wasn't working there and how can you scale that to Italy, UK, Germany, and the US in a different fashion, but creating kind of being that convener of care and of insight of what's going on. And as you know, we're also a healthcare company, not just a med tech company. And so we benefit tremendously from all the insights we were gleaning on the vaccine development of what variants were out there. Where is the virus? How is it mutating? Where is it on its cascade? But I will tell you kind of how we led. It's really funny. We started with this holy smokes moment, you know, March of 2020. And when we were quickly triaging, what is this that we're in? And we created the team, leadership team, a simple like one pager called how to lead with ambidextrous leadership. And what that meant was like dealing with the here and the now of the crises, but at the same time, getting our our mind above the clouds and kind of reimagining a new future. 
you know, we had about five pillars of that, which is one, serve and lead in the crises, which is how do we go engage with, first and foremost, keep our employees safe in this environment. Secondly, how do we consistently engage with customers who are counting on us? We were still doing cases. We were still delivering PPE. We were obviously actively involved in clinical care with them. How do you keep our innovations going? How do you keep our supply chains up and running in the middle of a pandemic? And then let alone, you know, we're a publicly traded company. So we were the first lucky off to go and start to share with, you know, the analyst community, what could be the potential impact of this? So we had to have the right kind of insights and analytics and credibility to put a little bit of math and algorithms together, what could be. And at the same time, we set up a team, we have to kind of preserve cash, you know, and who knows right. what the future will behold. And, but I would tell you equally important to that first pillar was reimagining the future. And that was really around how digitization really accelerated us throughout COVID. And that was how we did remote case support and telementoring and started to branch out into new sites of care that were more immune to the virus and how we trained all of our sales force. And, you know, we stood up an education platform where we trained 6 million healthcare professionals. Like we haven't trained 6 million in, you know, two months and 10 years. Right. So these are just a couple. People were really, I would tell you, unencumbered. They went to kind of how to create value. They were unencumbered with internal stuff and completely focused on our patients and our customers. Yeah. You mentioned the digitization of healthcare, something I've heard you say before and others. How's that impacting J&J and what's the future look like for you all around that in the J&J medtech space? Listen, I think 10, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and say, how fast did we really kind of digitize all of MedTech? And that can be from in the operating room around how we improve skill and judgment of a surgeon to to reduce the variation at outcome, improve outcomes at a lower cost, how we do the patient pathway of intercepting disease before disease starts to set in. I use lung cancer as an example of that. But the earlier we can get a diagnosis that's accurate, minimally invasive, you know, we don't have to spend the vast majority of healthcare dollars later in life. And also just our kind of our end-to-end supply chain around how we do customized, personalized care and 3D printing, how we do clinical trials using digitization, how mm. we do audits using digital footprints and working with regulators in a very different fashion using technology. So, I mean, we know this. We Healthcare has been one of the laggards in getting kind of tech embedded into it, unlike, yeah. unlike FinTech. So I think this generation, the next 10 to 20 years, it's going to be a very different world and and a really good thing for patients. Yeah. And continuing on the patient theme, right? J&J, I've heard you say this before. I've heard others inside the company say this before, that it's critically important for our businesses that we make sure that we stay patient-centric about everything we do, because at the end of the day, that's who we serve, Right. Talk about your passion there about making sure we're focused on the patient every step of the way. At the end of the day, that's who we serve, you know, and so there's 7 billion people on the planet, a little bit more now. And so what we come to work every day is to say, how do we give access to high quality care to those 7 billion? And then how do we have an impact in their lives? And we talked about healthcare is a bit of a calling of an industry. I mean, we take care of people when they're their most vulnerable and It's very global in nature. There's all different kinds of archetypes of care, but I will tell you the intersection of like med tech and software and biopharmaceuticals are gonna help cure the top five leading causes of of death. And, you know, that's uber, uber impact. So, you know, there's a lot of honor and and a lot of hunger to go 
to really, you know, improve patients' lives. And yeah. that's why we get such dedication in the industry of people who give all kinds of personal time on public health impact in Africa and in India. We're doing work on fistulas and we're doing work on lone bone traumas in Africa and traffics. And, you know, it becomes a special place to be. Yeah. As you look at the future, are there one or two areas where you're most excited? You see something down the road that's going to be so transformative for patients or for the healthcare system more broadly? Listen, coming out of COVID, healthcare has been put front and center on the map for all global economies, all global governments, and patients. And I think that healthcare has been repositioned probably in a good way because people need to be engaged in their own health. And I think that the state of technology is really advanced, whether you're looking at cell therapy or CAR T, or we'll talk a lot about digital surgery and robotics and med tech. But if I kind of take a step back and I say, you know, five leading causes of death are cardiovascular, oncology, traffic, respiratory health, stroke, those are not just going to be solved from a classic med tech. It's going to take collaborations and partnerships. It's going to take biopharmaceutical interventions. It's going to take the best of software of navigation and artificial intelligence and ML. And it's going to take some good old fashioned, you know, med tech, how we access every part of your anatomy in a very minimally invasive, smart, right. continuous learning fashion. And I, I'm encouraged by kind of, quite frankly, the the collaboration of those interdependencies. Yeah. I want to go back to COVID again for a minute. We didn't cover this early, but a lot of people have we as we've gotten sort of through COVID, not entirely. We've got the Delta variant that we're still dealing with and a lot of challenges remain. But we look back at COVID, I think we'll find this as a pivotal moment for the industry, but really for virtually every industry on what our workplace looks like and how we do our work and how we connect with our employees. Talk about how you kind of led through that and how you think that's changed your workplace environment for the better. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, listen, COVID did create some inequities because, you know, we had about 60% of our global workforce still showing up, whether it be doing cases or whether it be in manufacturing. And so, you know, their world really didn't change. It became, you know, scarier and we had to assure their safety with a whole host of protocols of a huge amount of, of respect and admiration for a lot of that segmentation of our workforce. And then equally, you know, some of the office-based workers went remote. We learned this hasn't just been for three months or six months or a year or 18 months. And I think technology is here to stay. I mean, thank goodness for Teams and Zoom. I mean, I learned, like, why did I wait to go to Japan to connect with all these academic centers? I can be on the phone with top Japanese surgeons in the morning and then go to China and then go to Israel and then go to Irvine all in one day. And that's kind of cool. But I think a couple of things. One is I think what we liked was the democratization and the speed and scale that technology gave us. I think we liked the inclusion factor. I think people, it was obviously woefully overused. So there's a major burnout there. And we're going to be living in this hybrid world. And who knows what the future is? It's going to be both. Right now, we're saying hybrid. And I'm very pleased that J&J is moving to the future. And we're, we're going to be in a flex world where, you know, right. we've got some in-office, which I do believe, you know, I was visiting companies. We're, you know, doing more M&A and go off to San Francisco tomorrow again to our robotics. You know, it's really good to see people and be with people more from a, a, a camaraderie and energy level 
quite frankly, you know, relationship building. It feels really good. Now, I am very empathetic because a lot of colleagues around the world can't experience that yet. And I say, hang in there. It will be. I do think that it's the best of both worlds. And we're just going to have to figure out how, especially companies at scale, learn to create where there aren't inequities in the workforce, where we don't go back to kind of our biases on performance and that we start to still have an open learning mode that we're still learning. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's never going to go back to what we knew before. But in my opinion, at least, it's just going to get better, right? Because it's opened so many new doors and so many avenues to connect with people. And while I don't love staring at Zoom screens all day, I've also found in many ways it's uh, rewarding because you can connect people you otherwise wouldn't. I think that's a very, very good thing. But I, I like you do miss getting together and seeing people from time to time. And so I'm looking forward to the day when we are back together again. Let me end with a more lighthearted question, Ashley. I, you've been on our board for a few years now, and I've watched and admired your leadership at J&J, but also as a member of our board. And I wanted to ask you, how do you do it, right? How do you keep up the energy and the focus and all of the work you do and balance all the things that you have going on in your life? What's the secret? Is there a secret sauce that you could share with the group? No, we should all compare secrets. You know, for me, it's really about like, what's your North Star and purpose? And like, you know, for me, healthcare matters. And I know the impact, I care about impact. And I'm so proud of the impact that we do every day. And I always say we're just getting started. And so in order to deliver that, that's kind of the what, you know, you got to be in your best mental, physical, spiritual fitness. And that can be when any of those get off, you have to calibrate you, you know, we're in charge of ourselves. And you know, you have to be really thoughtful of where you spend your time and your and your energy. And, you know, for me, I go back to basics. It's like sleeping well is really important. Movement and exercise is really important. Food for fuel is really important. And then just, I like to work hard, play hard. I need to have some fun. I have a huge need for fun and reading and connection with friends and family, making sure that you're that whole human being. And it's never harmonious, but over big chunks of time, it does get to be harmonious. And when all of those are kind of aligned, you can just be at your best. Yeah. Well, great advice for everyone who's listening, for all of us. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being a part of the AdvaMed community, for your leadership during this difficult time during COVID. We're all grateful for it. We admire you and we look up to you and uh, look forward to watching you continue to lead J&J MedTech. It's been a great run under your leadership, and I know the future looks even brighter. So thank you, and thanks for taking time to join us today. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for your leadership through COVID and your entire team at AvaMed. I really feel like we're, we're having some really good thought leadership there. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. For those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. For more episodes, visit advamed.org slash podcast or subscribe to MedTech POV on your favorite streaming platform. Until next time, this is Scott Whitaker. Have a great day.